Well, if you and I were to go out to lunch after church, let's just say it's like that. Have you ever done that on a Sunday? Go out to church? You go out to go to, go to church and then go out to lunch? And let's say we were sitting down and we were having lunch and I was to say to you, hey, I've got a question for you. What is one of your earliest memories of being in church? What's one of your earliest memories of being in church? I mean, not the first memory, but one of the earliest ones that you could remember. And perhaps as you would respond, you would go, well, that goes back to my childhood. I've been in the church since I was a child. Others of you, it might be, well, I came into the church when I was a teenager. And so others of you would come into the church as an adult. And the journey that you've gone through and you go back to that time. Well, for me, I am so, so blessed as I see it as I get older and older to have been in the church all my life. I have been in the church all my life and I have many, many, many fantastic memories associated with the church. And I praise God for that. And as I thought about the fantastic memories of being in the church uh, it would make sense that that's what my synopsis would be of like, I have a lot of fantastic memories. And the reason I say that is because Jesus said in John 10, 10, that he came to give us life, to give us abundant life, that our lives would be full. And I would submit to you that church life is at the heart of this fullness of life that he came to give us. I mean, life started for me, as I said, ever since I can remember, I was in the nursery. I actually, I don't know why God has created my mind to be able to remember certain things, but I can actually remember being in a nursery in our church. I can see the cribs over there against the wall and the joy that I felt getting out of them. And I, and I can also see for a moment, as I look back at that, I can see also this one particular lady, I don't know who she is. I don't know anything more about her, but she was a servant of Jesus. And she had the greatest beehive hairdo going that I can remember seeing. And I was so intrigued as a child looking at her hair going, there must be something hidden in there. There must be something special because my mom didn't have that kind of hairdo, but she usually would have a, she could pull out a pen or a pencil. And I'm figuring there must be a whole collection that this lady has in that uh, style of hair. Speaking of my mom, she's the pianist of our church. And, and I remember after she'd finished playing the piano, when I got to be in church in those days, um, I would have, she would sit down and her lap would be my pillow. And I had not off to sleep. And which was amazing I could sleep in church, which I know some of you might do that today before I'm over. That's, I'll work with that. But uh, how I stayed awake is amazing because the minister, Pastor Don Stram, was one of those preachers that would pound the pulpit regularly and would work up such a sweat that he'd have to wipe it off. And I just remember that as a child. And then his wife, Donna Stram, when I moved in and got to go to Children's Church, and I'll never forget, it's, it's just ingrained in my mind of going into church and being in there. And for the very first time I go in there and we all sit down and she says, good morning, boys and girls. Today we're gonna do something very special. And I remember thinking with the animated face that she had, not that mine has any animation whatsoever, right? Uh, but I just remember thinking, this is gonna be special. The next week she said the same exact thing. 
And I began to realize that in her mind, in her heart, in her desire to serve us kids, she wanted to make church very, very special. And I appreciate that in a journey of going and growing up in the church. In my teens, I was blessed with the youth ministry. And then into my college years, I was blessed with an amazing, truly amazing college ministry. And I was talking to Pam about this, is reflect on this, and some of those students, that I, I, you know, a lot of them I keep in contact with still. And what's amazing is I stopped and I thought this past week, and over the course, probably about a 10-year period, I would say, God called eight men out of that college ministry that are now serving full-time in pastoral ministry around the world. We didn't know that that was going to be happening. I didn't feel called to ministry being in that college group per se. But God worked in the church and he did that. And if you looked it into every area of my life, you'd find that I've been in church, well, since the beginning of me. I've been here the whole time. And just as each of us has a beginning, a starting point, when we look back and, oh yes, this is one of my earliest memories of church Christ's church has a beginning too. It has an early memory, if you will, that we're going to look at today. And by church, I mean ekklesia. That's the Greek word for the word church. And it's translated to mean church, but it means an assembly. It means called out ones. It means a community of believers. In other words, ekklesia, the church, is not a building. I think of that, and we obviously are gathered in a building, but it's actually in a, a body of believers, an assembly, the called out ones that we've been called out of darkness into light. And so in the last few weeks, we've been in this sermon series, Look In, and, and we looked in at the, at the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, and then we had communion and, and prayer that week, and then we looked in at the cross on Good Friday, and, and then we looked in at the tomb. And we found that it was empty. And Pastor Mike took us through that. And we went back again a second week on that just to say, well, how do we know where what was, it was empty? But was there actually a resurrection that happened? And we looked at that. And then we looked at, at the coming of the Holy Spirit last week with Pastor Matt. And today we're looking at the beginning of the church. In other words, what we've been is been a chronological trek through the start and all that happened around Easter as we know it, and the start of how the church got going. And today we're concluding with the beginning of the church, which takes us to the day of Pentecost. It was a Jewish harvest festival that people from all over would gather for. It's what the scriptures tell us in Acts 2. And, 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 and here they are, and the Holy Spirit has just come. We looked at that last week. We looked in on that. The Holy Spirit has come and rested on Jesus' disciples. And the crowd that is there, the scriptures tell us, are confused at what's happening. They actually says that they think they're drunk. Once they start speaking in tongues and speaking in one another's languages, and they're going, what is, oh, they must be drunk. Something just doesn't make sense here. And in that moment, Peter is there and he stands up at the 11 and he raised his voice and he addresses the crowd that is gathered there. And he gives a sermon to these people to explain what is happening. And at the end of his sermon, at the end of his message to this crowd, we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 40, when the people heard this, 
Peter's sermon. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, such as people in Elisa Viejo, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Peter's message at the end of it in Acts chapter 2. So at the end of this message, you think, well, how did the people respond? How did they react to this message? Verse 41 of Acts chapter 2 says this, those who accepted his message were baptized And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 people respond to the gospel being presented to them by Peter. And if you were to go through Jerusalem, you would see in antiquity and archaeology would show you that there's a lot of pools throughout the city of Jerusalem. I want to submit to you in the days, if not weeks ahead, those pools were filled with people getting baptized. And that's significant because what they were saying was, I'm declaring my identity is with Christ and no longer with Judaism. Christ is who I'm following and his teachings. And so the journey begins for them as they journey with Christ and become the church. Which brings us to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there as we look at that here this morning. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47, which I've entitled as the church begins. The church begins. Acts chapter 2 verses 42 to 47. So we understand the Holy Spirit has come. Peter's preached the message. They've responded. 3,000 have responded. Now what? Well, now we have the church beginning. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread and in their homes... And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number, it's getting bigger than 3,000, added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the account of how the church begins. Dr. Luke has written it down for us so we would have this account And so from this account, we can learn about the purposes of the church, which we're going to focus on today, and we can also learn and see what a church devoted to Christ looks like, what a church devoted to their Savior, Jesus Christ, whom their identity is now in following baptism. But before we look at those purposes, there's a key word I want to examine, and this word stood out to me in my studies in researching this. 
And the key word is used twice. It's used in verse 42 and it's used in verse 46. It's a Greek word. We're going to talk about it here in a moment. But it's translated in verse 42, devoted. You see that word, devoted? Then if you jump down to verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet. Continued to meet, devoted. Same Greek word that's being used here in the text. What's significant about this word? Well, the actual word that's used there is proskarteruntes, which if you're thinking, I don't speak regularly with Greek, you got it. But it's a verb, and it's actually a verb in the present tense. Why does that matter for this particular church of their devotion, of continuing to meet together? It's because it's an action in process with no determined or set completion time. In other words, they're going to keep this devotion going and going and continuing and continuing. So this word, proskar teruntes, comes from the root word, proskar tereo. Proskar tereo has significant meaning, and I want to have us grasp this this morning to understand the text that we're looking at. And so what it means is, proskar tereo, translated devoted, translated committed to continue to meet, is it has these meanings, it has this idea. It means to persevere in an activity or a cause. To persevere in an activity or a cause. Proskatereo means to persist. It means to keep on keeping on. It, it means to serve personally. It means to hold fast to it. It means to endure in. Devotion, continuing to meet this kind of activity. Proskartereo means to stand perpetually ready. It means to remain faithful to a person or a task. So as I've drilled down on this word, I just want you to grasp the, 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 the significance of this. So when you read verse 42, they devoted themselves. And when you read verse 46, they continued to meet. We must recognize that this church was fully devoted followers of Christ. Have you ever heard of a phrase or a statement around here? Something that goes like honoring God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ? That's our purpose. That's our mission here as a church. That's what we're after. That's why we exist. That's what they're doing as well. And their devotion, I want to submit to you, is not a Sunday sometimes and Sunday other times kind of devotion. Their, their devotion here was not a, oh, if I feel like making it to church, I'll make it to church. This was a devotion that they persevered in, that they kept on, that they served personally, that they held fast to, that they endured in, that they continued to do this on and on with no set time of actually coming to an end. If you were to ask them in conversation, hey, were, were, you, uh, were you into the word of God being taught? Yes, would be their response. We were devoted to that. Were you devoted to, to uh, one another? Yes. Were you devoted to prayer? Yes. Were you devoted to serving? Yes. Were you devoted to sharing the gospel? Yes. This was a church that was devoted to Christ. 
I think it's important we grasp that because I want to submit to you that the devotion of this first church impacted the world like no other cause and no other human in all of human history. This is amazing, their devotion as a church as it got started. I mean, from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth, I'm guessing if you were asked by them, where are you from? And you said, Eliso Viejo, that sounds like the end of the earth to me, right? From being in Jerusalem. And here we are. Here we are. Continuing to meet together. And I thought about the significance of their devotion as it started and what that's meant 2,000 years later. And as I thought about this, just some research of knowing this, of the impact of Christ's church. Christ's church has started more hospitals than any government or institution. We, we heard of the, the term health care. The church is behind this concept of health care. The government's trying to do their job with that now, but the church is the one who came up with the concept of actually starting hospitals and providing health care all around the world. The church is the one who has led the starting of universities more than any government or state could. The church has been behind that. The church has been behind orphanages being started. The church has been behind uh, 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 adoption agencies. You can go into the agricultural world and, and being taught how to raise crops and how to have clean water. The list goes on and on that the church, the, this church sprung out from and has continued, has continued to have a greater impact than any institution or group of people or assembly in all the world's history. So we are part of something amazing to consider. The devotion to Christ by this assembly of church started the advancement for the case and the cause for Christ. And it's because of that that here we are today. And we continue on with that. How is it that this church had a lasting impact on the churches that followed? What was it? Well, simply put, they had purpose. <laughs> they knew what they were about. They knew what they were supposed to be doing and they did that. And so what I want to take for a few moments here in this passage is when we look at the church begins, we're going to discover that the church has five purposes. Five purposes that we can see from this text. The first one, the characteristic or purpose, is instruction. Instruction from the word of God. If you look at verse 42, it says that they devoted, we've covered that word, the significance of that word, so we understand what kind of activity they're into, the, 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 the desire that they have themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's instruction. Teaching is doctrine. Teaching is understanding the, 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 the critical understanding of what's, the, if you will, the non-negotiables in Scripture doctrinally. And as I thought about that, I thought, here are these apostles filled with the Holy Spirit, and to sit underneath their teaching you would be experiencing a teaching of these men being fully filled with the Holy Spirit and the authority and the power with which they taught. It just, it just boggles my mind to think about that. It's an answer to prayer in many ways because Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth for your word is truth. Well, they met daily for instructions to do this. Paul told Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 2.15 to correctly handle the word of truth. Well, the church 
is learning how to correctly handle the word of truth. And we're to continue that today. Think of it like a football team that huddles up. And they come together and they get the play and they go out and run the play. We huddle up together here on Sundays in life groups, get to play and we go out and live out what we've studied, what we've learned from God's word. So there's instruction. What else do we see here? We look at this church as it begins. We see that they have a second purpose and that's fellowship. The church is fellowshipping together. If you look at verses 42 and 46, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. If you look down at verse 46, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. There was some eating together with glad and sincere hearts right outside here before the service. Perhaps you do that in your life group. Breaking of bread in verse 42 is most likely a reference to communion. That they did that as a breaking of bread, a fellowship, a commune with the Lord. Verse 46, it says that they broke bread and ate together. It'd be more of a fellowship of being with other believers and having a time of fellowship connecting over a meal. Perhaps you've known and heard of the word koinonia. That's the Greek word for fellowship. Well, it's the idea of sharing in common. And what's interesting about this is that if you look at the church, you're going to discover as you get to know people that you have some differences than what you have or how you view things or how, what you maybe believe or what your background is. The, the church has brought together all kinds of people from all kinds of backgrounds across the world, Right? But we have one thing in common in our fellowship, and that is Christ. He's at the center of it. 1 John 1, 7 reminds us that we have fellowship with one another because the blood of Jesus purifies us from all our sin. That's what brings our fellowship and makes it work. Therefore, as Romans 15, 7 instructs us, we are to accept one another just as Christ accepted you. We're all sinners. We all have that as our nature. We all have that as our background. So we're to accept one another, whoever God brings in. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 calls on Grace Hills to encourage one another to build one another up. In other words, we're to edify. We're to edify. So there's instruction. There's fellowship. There's this time together that they're having of doing this and then next what we have is we have service service often we think of it as ministry if you look at acts 2 44 to 45 it's, it says this all the believers were together and had everything in common selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need that was the way they were serving one another some people have come along through the years and thought oh maybe this is a this is a push or this is an idea or uh, it's teaching communism. I submit to you it's not because this in the text here is all voluntary. It's not being forced. It's people wanting to serve others which should explain why they want to do that. They're gifted. 1 Corinthians 12 and and, uh, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 tell us that we are all gifted listing of spiritual gifts. Which is, I like to say, if you're a Christian, I like to say to you, congratulations, you're gifted. You're gifted. 
The moment you receive Christ and receive the Holy Spirit, God put in you a gift, at least one gift, if not more. Used to edify, to serve the body, which is what this church is doing. 1 Peter 4.10 instructs, each of you, each of me, all of us, should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. One of the challenges that we've had with COVID is being able to do that. When we started coming back together in person, it's kind of like, well, who's here? What ministries can we pull off? What ministries can we actually do? How can we function without people here to serve? And that's been a challenge. It's also why it's so great to see more people coming back now. And we pray that more people are able to because you are needed. You're needed now to assist with serving in the body. And I could give examples of that, but just know that that's there. If you have questions, I'd love to talk to you about that. A fourth purpose that they had here as a church that was gathering was for worship. Was for worship. If you look at verse 42, you see that they said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is a form of worship. It says that they were breaking bread, communion, a form of worship. It says that they were engaged in prayer, again, another form of worship. This is what this church is involved in. It says in verse 47 that they were praising God, again, another form of worship. This is what they're involved in. Worship means to encounter God and praise him. To encounter God and praise him. That's why we come here and we worship. Uh, This idea of this word worship, it comes from two words, worth and ship. Worth and ship, the original original, uh, language of that, and you put them together and you get the word worship. And the concept is simply this. If a ship could sail and make it safely across the ocean, then it was a worthy ship to be on, a worse ship that you could do. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you probably don't look up at the ceiling very often, but you see the beams above your head, and you'll notice there's two beams running down the center here. In other words, there's an apex that it comes up to, and a lot of churches that you'll go into, you'll see this look of a church. And the whole concept is, as I was taught one time, it's like, well, this is the idea of a worth ship, a ship. We are inside the hull. These are the beams going across. This is the keel laid down. It's upside down, but we're in this, this ship. It's worthy of a place for worship unto God. And so as you walk in here or you see a church and you wonder, why does it look like that? Well, there was a concept that comes back to this being a place that's worthy to set aside and worship God. Through music, as Psalm 95, 1 and 2 says, come let us sing for joy, extol him with music and song. Through prayers of praise, such as in Psalm 86, 12, I will praise you, Lord, my God, I will glorify your name. Through prayers of petition, Ephesians 6, 18 says, pray in the spirit of all occasions with all kinds of requests worship through giving second corinthians 9 7 says each of you should give whatever you have decided in your heart to give not reluctantly under or under compulsion for god loves a cheerful 
giver. In other words, there's multiple ways to worship the Lord, and this church is doing that. We are seeking to carry that on and do that. So there's instruction, there's fellowship, there's service, there's worship. And the final purpose we see here is evangelism. Evangelism. It shows here in, in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There was a work that God was doing through this church that was drawing people unto this community of believers. And I want to submit to you that evangelism is the beginning of the church, it's in the center of the church, and it's at the end of the church. In other words, we have all the purposes, but evangelism is at the core of it. It's at the core of everything that we're doing, is to spread the gospel. Saved uh, is the idea of this, uh, those who are being saved is in a present tense in the Greek, which means this is an ongoing action. It means to be delivered. It means to be rescued. It means to be healed. That's what's happening in the church, which is why Jesus said, hey, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And I'm gonna be with you as you do that, to carry out the great commission, to do that work. And the apostles were obeying the great commission and God was drawing people to salvation. You might've heard it over the last few weeks, Everyone invite one. Everyone invite one. That's a challenge for each of us to be evangelistic, to carry on what this church and churches since then over the past 2,000 years have been doing. And we get to partner with God in his work to draw people into receiving knowledge of him. So when we look in at this church, we find these five purposes. Right? We, we've looked at these, and I wanted to spend the remainder of our time of what it's looking like, well, what's a devoted church look like? What are some characteristics of a church that is devoted to Christ? We speak of that as honoring God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. Three characteristics I want to share with you. The first one, we look in and at the church and just devoted to Christ we see a church that is loving. We see a church that is loving. As you go through the text here of verses 42 to 47, I think it's safe to assume that this was a loving church. But you might ask, well, how? How were they loving? Two ways. They were loving God. They loved the Lord. They loved the Lord. Which is being obedient here because Jesus said the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. So they are loving God. And, and I thought, well, how do you know if you love God? Because there's a lot of people who say, oh, I love God. One word, <laughs> obedience. Obedience. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So to know if we're truly, truly loving God, it's being obedient to what his word says. How else is this church loving? Well, they're loving others. They're loving others, which is the second part of this great commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than loving God and loving others. It makes sense because Romans 12.10 says that we as the church are to be devoted to one another in love. 
We're to honor one another above ourselves. Galatians 5.13 tells us to serve one another humbly in love. And 1 Peter 4.8 says, above all else, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And what I want to submit to you here as I look at this text is this church is devoted, persevering, enduring, continuing to be this kind of devotion to loving God and loving others. It's the work that they're doing. As I thought about this, I thought in my own life, uh, in the journey that I've had to live in the church, I've thought about people who have modeled that for me growing up of men particularly who have loved God and loved others. And, and to realize, well, what am I doing? You might wonder, what effect am I having on the church? You're having an amazing impact simply by loving God and loving those around you. When we look at a church that's devoted to Christ, not only do we see that they're loving, we also see that they're growing. They're growing, and we look at this passage from Acts 2, 42 to 47, we see that the church grew very quickly. <laughs> but how? How did they grow? I want to submit to you in two ways that they were growing. Think of it like this. If we were to have a conversation with one of those people from the church and say, well, how were you growing? Perhaps one of them would say something to the effect of this, well, we were growing in our relationship with God. We were growing in our relationship with God. We were devoted to that, and God was blessing that. And I would say, well, when you say growing in your relationship with God, like, like how? Like, what does that look like? Well, I want to submit to you an answer that perhaps could have worked for them from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 8. To make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, growing in your relationship with God, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So growing in our relationship with God. You know what we seek to do here to help that? Perhaps you've heard of it. Life groups? <laughs> They're designed to help us grow in our relationship with God. Which led me to think, well, how do you know, how, how do you know if you're pursuing growth? I mean, we all say we should be, but how do you know? One word, time. It takes time. We provide sermon notes and we provide a life group Bible study for you to spend time in God's word that you might grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, if we were having this conversation with them and we said, well, growing, how else? Well, they may, perhaps they would say, well, there's another way. Okay, what is that? Well, we were involved in growing in our relationship with others. So it was vertical, but it was also horizontal, if you will. And, and being me, I would go, well, like, what do you mean? What do you mean growing in your relationship with others? Perhaps if they were able to, they would appoint me to 1 Thessalonians 2, 6 to 8, which they couldn't at that time, but we can today, and it would look like this. Well, we were not looking for praise from men. 
not from you or anyone else, Paul writes. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you have become so dear to us. See, life groups are designed for us to grow in our relationship with one another. That's their intent. Let me ask the question again. How do you know if you're pursuing growth? It's the same answer. It's time. Time in God's word, growing our relationship with God, and time with one another. In other words, investing my time in you. You investing your time in me. We often think of that as ironing, sharpening iron. Life groups are where we help and hope that this begins to unfold. So in my role as associate pastor here, one of the tasks I have, responsibilities I have, is our life groups. So I need to know whether or not this is working. So I wanted you to see if you could do something for me this morning. Here it is. If, if you've been in a life group and, and you've spent that time going to your life group, I want you to raise your hand if you've grown in your relationship with God as a result of being in a life group. I got three, four. Okay, there's a few more of you. Okay, okay, let's, let's, let's continue to test one more question. How many of you, raise your hand, if you, because of being in a life group, have grown in a relationship, a friendship with another person. Okay, so do you see this is not by accident? <laughs> We're not just saying, hey, let's just get together. No, there's a purpose behind it, right? We want to grow in our relationship with God, which is why we want you to do the homework and come and share with what God's taught you, that we might be blessed in how God is working through you to sanctify you, to make you more like his son. And we learn from one another and our friendships grow as particularly as we become more transparent and pray for one another. Loving, growing. And the last one of a church that's devoted to Christ, we see a church that is sharing. A church that is sharing. From Acts 2, this passage we've looked at, we can read that this was a sharing church. This was a sharing church. But how were they sharing? Well, I want to submit to you they shared in two ways. In fact, if we were to have this conversation with that person again, imagining that we could do that, say, how are you sharing? Well, I think they would say, well, we're sharing our lives through service. We're sharing our lives through service. And, and I would say, well, what do you mean through service? Like, explain what you mean by that. And perhaps if they had this available to them, they would say, well, look at Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Here's how we were sharing our lives through service. We were doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, we were considering others better than ourselves. For it says, for each of you should look not onto your own interests, that's a given, but also to the interests of others. And here's the kicker. Your attitude, your devotion, if you will, should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And then the text continues to show what Christ did, modeling what it means to serve Sharing through service is being like Jesus. How do you know if you're sharing? It's through serving. (laughs) 
It's being involved in a ministry. So if we're continuing this conversation with this person, let's say, and we say, well, how else were you involved in sharing? Perhaps they would say, well, we were sharing Christ through evangelism. Oh, sharing Christ through evangelism. Oh, where'd that come from? Imagine that Peter says, and when I said, well, Peter told us that Jesus said, and Luke wrote it down for us from Acts chapter one, verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth like Eliso Viejo from Jerusalem. Oh, sharing like that. Yeah, sharing the gospel. Did you know that we too are empowered by the Holy Spirit to share Christ? God has committed to us the responsibility of sharing. I know that from looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 19 and 20. And he has committed to us, that's the church, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us, his church, right? And we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That's the work. That's sharing the gospel. And I started thinking, well, how do you know if we're committed to sharing anywhere close to what this church was doing in sharing the gospel? And I thought, oh, Hmm, how about that word oikos? You ever heard that word around here? Oh, so you speak Greek, got it, okay. So the, the word is actually used in this text. Back in chapter two, verse 46. It says, every day they continue to meet together, there's that word, this devoted word, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their oikos in their homes, in their relational world. In other words, they were sharing Christ everywhere. I thought of some steps for that in my own mind. I put it down as, well, first of all, I just need to be befriending my neighbors, those around me. Me being the one who takes the opportunity to go up and say, hello, I'm Bill. And hopefully they would want to have a conversation with me and develop a friendship. And then next, it would be inviting. As Pastor Mike likes to say, we'd like to be an inviting people. And then lastly, it would be presenting. Presenting the gospel. Explaining to them what it means to know Jesus as their Savior, personally. Befriending, inviting. You can even use one of these invite cards that we have there in the lobby as a tool to invite somebody. And Lord willing, you'll be able to present the gospel to them. So here's the church devoted fully to Christ. We see it in the way that they're loving, they're growing, and they're sharing. I want to give you this final reminder as I close, and it's this. You are the church. You are the church. Yes, like you, I think of a building. I go to a building. I go to a place that's worthy, that's designed to be a worship place. But ultimately, it's you. It's the people. And if we're devoted to Christ and his church, I want to submit to you, you're going to be loving, you're going to be growing, and you're going to be sharing. Here's the beauty of it all. The blessing that comes with that is if you're devoted to loving God and loving others, 
I want to submit to you that then you'll be growing. Growing in your relationship with God, growing in your relationship with others. And if you're doing that, most likely you're going to be sharing. You're going to share your life through serving others and you're going to share the gospel. And if you're sharing, what does that mean? That means you're loving. And if you're doing that more and more, that means you're growing. And if you're growing, you're most likely going to be sharing. And if you're sharing, you're going to be loving. If you're growing, sharing, you get the idea how this works. We conclude with this. Last night I asked my daughter, I said, hey, do you have an hourglass timer? She goes, I do. It's in one of my games. I said, can I have it? She says, what do you need it for? I said, I need it to close my sermon. She's like, okay. Uh, this hourglass timer, we know how this works, right? Well, as I asked you at the beginning or suggested to you at the beginning, we all have a time that we began when the clock started ticking, if you will. And here's the deal. Time is short. Life is precious. And Jesus is coming soon. Time is going through right now. It's began for you. It's began for me. And there's lives that are out there that are precious to the Lord Jesus that he wants us to reach through our oikos. Because Jesus is coming back soon. That's what he's told us. So I challenge us as a church, I challenge myself to live out what I'm teaching, to seize the day, to carpe diem, if you will, to proclaim Christ and be the church that God has called me to be. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to be the church that you've called us to be. That, God, we would not hold back, but, Father, we would be fully devoted followers of you. That, God, that that would be reflective in each of our lives and how we carry about living for you. God, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, through the years there's been instruction. There's fellowship. Lord, there's serving there's worship, and there's evangelism. Lord, we continue on on this day of the legacy of your church here at Grace Hills to continue to be fulfilling the purposes that you've given us for your church, to be loving, to be growing, to be sharing. Because time is short, life is precious, and Jesus, you're coming back soon. And we want to be ready as a church for that. We pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to live out and be the church you've called us to be. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.